Hello, everyone. I'm Joseph Roberson, a.k.a. Professor Joe of both King Talk Podcast and the Professor Joe Show. And you're currently listening to me on King Talk, our unapologetic and transparent discussion on any and all issues related to youth sports. If there's something you'd like to hear discussed, feel free to drop us a line, shoot us a DM, and let us know on IG at King Talk Podcast. That's King Talk Podcast, one word, on IG. You can also find us on Facebook at King Talk Podcast and on iHeartRadio as well as Spotify. Today is my esteemed privilege to have with us Americus Jones. Did yes, I say sir. it right? Yes, hey, sir. I'm sorry, you, you have to me. applaud for yourself, my brother. No, no. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry. I'll take it, I'll take it. Yeah, we ain't got no applause after <laughs> none of that yet, so I do what we got to do. Hey, I appreciate you sitting down and oh, talking no with us today, Americus. It's a pleasure, it's a privilege, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you for having me, you know, I appreciate hopefully it. Hopefully you're willing to share some insights. So right now, um, you are currently coaching, mm-hmm. and can you share with us in what role where or yes um as of now i'm at uh grand high school okay okay um coaching the frost off team the so. lancers right the lancers go lancers yes sir go lancers, yes, sir. Go lancers. Okay. um we actually just came off a quadruple overtime uh game last night against oh, our leader which okay. was definitely probably one of the best games i've seen oh wow wow and i know they're serious over there they've been building mm-hmm. something nice over there at oh Arleta, yeah huh? yeah uh, okay. jason hill he actually went to Grant and Cleveland. Okay. So he played. I mean, he's a you know heck of a ball player himself. Okay, Me and go. him there played together, and have okay. much respect for that program. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, you know what? That that's what I love about sports is this. Like, I'm vicious in competition. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter who it is, you could be my friend, but I want your head. I want yeah. your head. Um, but you know, but at the same time, I enjoy respecting who I compete against. Oh, most definitely. You know what I'm saying? I enjoy respecting them. I don't, I don't buy into. I don't need to do anything demeaning mm-hmm. to to find the fire within my spirit and soul to compete the best I can against you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can wish you well, even though at this moment, you know, I want success for you, just not against me. Yeah. You know. No. But it was a good, good fight, huh? It was a good fight. The thing, because this is my first year coaching. Okay. So okay. Um, when I first wanted, when I first came to uh, Tariq, which is the head coach at Grant. Um, I told him I just kind of wanted to, you know, step in and help right. out. Uh, but then he was like, you know what? Coach Froshoff. Okay. And I'm just like, whoa. You know, I, yeah, that was a little yeah, bit too much yeah. for me. However, he threw you to the fire. He threw me yeah. to the fire. Like, yeah. I've never done anything like okay. this before. I mean, I've coached, like, you know, overseas professionals, which is a lot easier because they pretty much right. do what they do. But kids, you have to be a little bit more hands-on with them. Right, right. Um, but going back to the game, um, it was – to me, the two coaches, which is Tariq and Jason, they actually know each other. Gotcha. So it was almost like a chess game. So yeah. that's one of the yes. reasons, one of the aspects of the game that I kind of like. Yeah. You'll sub people at a certain time. Right, right. And, you just, and they're good friends. You see them laughing and slapping right. hands. But as soon as the game is back on, they're like, right. all right, you know, we're back in action. Right. Right. So it was kind of good seeing that dynamic between those hey, two. And the intellect of it. Because some people don't realize it's a chess match going mm-hmm. on and it's a response. Yes. So there are people who watch basketball. One of the things about basketball that blows my mind is a pop culture sport. To mm-hmm. me, basketball is not just a sport. It's a pop culture sport now where if someone was a doctor, right, a heart surgeon, you wouldn't anticipate someone standing over their shoulder like, okay, what you need to do is, yeah. right, uh, because I, what's that commercial I stayed at or whatever hotel last night, right, so therefore mm-hmm. you can give them feedback on this. If they were an electrician, if they were a plumber, but when you coach sports, 
It's like because it's a pop culture sport now, everybody thinks because they watched it, they can coach it. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not just the athleticism of players. There's strategy behind it. Oh, there's a thought time. process behind it. There's chess moves being made. Hey, real quick, I wanted to touch on something you said that I thought was so deep and humble. And just, I, you know, I already have the utmost respect for you. You know, a, a healthy sense of awe mm-hmm. about who's sitting across from me. But... um. You were so humble that you was like, you know, they threw me to the fire and, you know, without me really knowing what. But then again, you've been coaching professionals, so you do know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's what some people don't realize that, okay, but you're still humble enough to acknowledge, okay, but there's some different nuances to coaching young people. Because you could just have an arrogance about you like, no, I've coached professionals, man. I can. Mm -hmm. Right. But some people don't realize, no, maybe it's not just any longer about your basketball IQ and knowledge of the game, but now the skill has to come in about how do I take the same information and break it down and translate it to someone at this age mm, so they can yes. understand. So mm-hmm. I just, I just appreciate that. But, um, so you said you enjoyed watching the chess match last yes, night. Yes, it was, it was definitely, you know, a chess match. And we had the, uh, the great Howie Levine, which is, uh, he coached, uh, Gilbert Arenas. He, okay, he was a okay. head coach for Grant for like 25 years. Gotcha. So, and then kind of hearing him, kind of coach the game because he, he was in the stands with me. I was taking stats. Okay, gotcha. So he was kind of – because him and Tariq are like this. They're like – Okay. You know what I mean? They're close. So gotcha. he already knew what Tariq was going to do and just kind of hearing it from them was just kind of like, like this is a really strategic game. This yes. is more than just shoot them up, bang, bang. Yes. This is yes. more like there's a strategy. I'm going to put A and B here to make this happen. Right. And just seeing basketball at that level is just – it was just amazing. It was okay. a, it's like a, it's a great experience. Yes. So it's so crazy because you get to enjoy stuff both as a coach and fan, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. What um what do you enjoy most about it in, in your first year of coaching? Um coaching um is a relationship you build with the kids. Okay. Um, like I said, that was I mean, as quiet as it's kept, that's always been like a, it's always been something that I was always afraid to do. Okay. Like anything else, it was always kids. I always, I always said one day I'm gonna coach kids, but I was always nervous. I don't know what it was, okay. but it was. I was always nervous to coach kids. And for Tariq to give me the opportunity the way he did, I'm feeling like okay, this is the universe saying that yes. this is a demon that you need to fight. Okay. Get over it and go ahead and conquer. Go this. ahead and conquer yeah. this. Yeah. And so, because, you know, when you're coaching kids, you're, you're not only coaching the kids, you're, you're dealing with the parents, right, you're dealing with, right. you know, the gentle emotion. You know, even though these kids are 15 and 16 years old, yes. they still have, they're still going through emotional, yeah. you know, yes. things in their yes. head. Yes. And I feel like as a coach, you're more than just a coach. Right. You're a counselor. You're a father. You know, you're teaching a lot of life lessons. And that's one thing that I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy about this because you're teaching these young men how to be a man through right. you know basketball i feel right. like basketball and and life you know are synonymous hey what, what you just so so deep so a lot of times we talk about that what is your perception of the various responsibilities of players of parents of coaches of even referees mm-hmm. and and one of the reasons that becomes important to me is you have a very um detailed um specific genuine um heartfelt perspective on what your role is bigger than just this title one day during the game, a ref had uh, called something on a player. And then I was, uh, the player was trying to ask the ref in a very humble way, not being arrogant, not questioning the call, like, hey, ref, what did I do or something? And the ref just uh, became agitated. I don't think the ref thought the kid was questioning their authority, but just mm-hmm. like, hey, can you explain? So I asked the ref, I was like, oh, can you explain to him what the call was for? He's like, 
that ain't my job. I don't have to. And I thought to myself, like, wow, you're what's wrong mm-hmm. with sports. Because it's not about whether it's your job. You have a chance to teach. Bingo. You have a chance to educate, to help understand. And, and that's, so it's not about a job. It's about what is your moral obligation, like, to help further the understanding of life. Forget the game. Mm-hmm. This game is minimal. Yes. Like, you know, we don't want to overstate what it means to bounce a ball, throw a ball, catch a ball, run fast. That's, the game is irrelevant. It's what life lessons are going to come out of this game. Bingo. So I just, I'm very appreciative of hearing you um, articulate those thoughts. Mm-hmm. So like, hey, these are some of the responsibilities that, you know, I feel with taking on this role. And therefore, it is so serious, it's weighty. So I could see where there's some level of, of trepidation, some anxiety about taking on this role because it's a serious role and you begin to realize, oh, I'm affecting lives mm-hmm. by what I do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's deep. That's deep. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it, I mean, it's definitely been an experience. It's like, because I, I always wanted to be, you know, in a counseling role. Mm-hmm. And now I see myself being more of a counselor than a coach. Gotcha. Because, you know, you see these kids and, you know, I mean, a lot of these kids, they go through some pretty tough things. Right, like we right. think just because they're kids right. that they're, you know, they just go to school and yeah. hang out with their friends. No, they're really going through things. And, you know, they're not, not all of them mature enough to handle these things that's going right. on outside. So what I tell them is I like, you know, this basketball, this is your safe haven. Okay. So anything that you got going on out there, you guys... This is your chance. This is your stress reliever. So, yeah. you know, this is you know where it needs to. Hey, what you're saying is so deep too, from the perspective that every coach, I, you know, I have so many friends amongst the coaching ring. Every single coach I've talked to is dealing with what it means to also be a counselor of sorts. Mm-hmm. Like, and everyone has come to me, you know, as we talk, and they'll share like, "Hey, Joe, these young people are going through a mm-hmm. lot, Joe." They're experiencing a lot, like you, and they're almost in a state of shock. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you don't understand what they're telling me. Yeah. I think, like, no, I do understand what they're telling you, and I do understand the decisions you're making and the weightiness of them to the point where it's not as simple as a nine to five where, okay, I just go home and no, because you realize that there's lives that are in my hand and young people are under a great deal of psychological and emotional strain. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we have to identify is there's blessings for the generation at hand. And then there's curses that go uh, with it. So for instance, the internet access, social media can be a blessing in one sort. It exposes them to a lot where they have more of a global perspective than some of us may have had Mm -hmm. uh, in our youth. And at the same time, there's a curse that comes with that because there is sometimes a sense of hopelessness as to what outcomes am I looking forward to in this world? What's here for me? Like they also have a greater awareness of, um, you know, systemic oppression and things that are taken globally mm-hmm. and different where, or, and also times a concern for what's going on in the world and how does that affect me? So, you know, you're not the first coach I've heard really express this, um, pro- the profound nature of what young people are experiencing in the world today. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, it, it's a lot. And sometimes, and they'll come out and just tell you, yeah. I mean, once they get that comfort with you yeah. and you'll just be amazed. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, they need more yes. they need more help right and you know i'm just glad i was actually given the opportunity the universe and coach Tariq was able to give me the right. opportunity to step in what a blessing what mm-hmm. a blessing huh hey now just because you mentioned it i'm curious to know um uh, because it's always a sensitive thing i have i interact in youth sports both as a parent mm-hmm. and as a coach mm-hmm. and i know in my role as a coach 
I may not necessarily prefer for parents to approach me with some of the issues that they're experiencing, especially if they don't have the true nature mm-hmm. uh, or understanding of the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I'm a parent. So guess what? If you a coach coaching my child and I got some issues that I'm sure, guess what? I'm going to come share. Mm-hmm. Like what, what is your experience of uh, parents approaching you? What's your thoughts? With that? Um, well, like I said before, the, that, that was one of the number one things that kind of like one of the obstacles that that got in my way of 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 coaching was right. I didn't want to deal with the parents. Right. So now that I'm in it, um, knock on wood, I haven't had too many experiences. However, um, you know, I'm, I'm open to it. Right. Um, but that can be just be because yeah. of my lack of experience right okay, now. You know, you, so I'm just you. now in the game. So once I get more accustomed to it, maybe that that open okay. door policy will probably change a little bit right, right. Um, but as of now I mean it's just been receptive um, right. I'm big on communication gotcha. so um, you know I set up an email uh, okay. blast with all this with all the parents so um, you know keeping them in the loop with everything right. as well so I become amazed sometimes at how little people understand about the game so based on their evaluation of the game they'll mm-hmm. always feel like you know my kid's a great dribbler and they're oh, like yeah. yeah but you know you're part of how your child plays as a reflection of your understanding of the game and what you've told them and to be able to dribble is meaningful but to understand what you're using the dribble to accomplish and and how that impacts the team and that like the IQ for the game becomes important and that part your child doesn't necessarily possess so Mm -hmm. therefore the skill of dribbling without the understanding of what the intent behind using that skill is Mm -hmm. isn't as purposeful as you may think yeah so you're frustrated because like well you know my kids do they do all these tricks and he's great with the year but that has absolutely no impact Mm -hmm. on the game um so you know that is something i've always become amazed with is is okay where is that balance between being receptive because again i know both roles i'm a parent Mm-hmm. You know, as well as someone who coaches uh, various athletic sports, you know, so, you know, therefore it is quite a balance. I appreciate and respect your willingness to be receptive. Mm-hmm. And I think to for parents, um, a lot of things from a role as a coach is not just what you say, it's how you say it. Bingo. You know, and how you approach it, because it's not just communication. It has to be some effective, mm-hmm. responsible, respectful communication. Mm-hmm. No, know? I'm big on that. I mean, especially with me, you know, means I have a little brother that's in college and mm-hmm. I pretty much pretty much help raise him from, right, right. you know, from okay. where he is now. And he's so. not just in college, may I say, as someone who understands who he is and the level of popularity he has, <laughs> he's a college athlete. Yes, yes. Who's earned a scholarship and performed uh, rather well mm-hmm. under scrutiny and under the microscope of playing on television. Mm-hmm. And in his big moments, he's shown up. Yes. You know, yeah. I had to add that. Oh, thank you, I'm thank sorry, you. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. No, I mean, he's, I'm definitely proud yeah. of where, you know, what he's done. Um, and I think just throughout the years, me being, you know, me being younger, kind of growing up watching other parents and how, you know, they talk to the coaches and how the coaches handle it kind of gave me a little bit more insight on how to handle those situations gotcha. because I do feel like, you know, I have, I have pretty good people skills, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I yes, pride myself on, you know, articulating what's going on and, you know, the best way possible. So when that, when I cross that bridge, you know, hopefully. Okay. Now let me ask you how you deal with this. Cause you happen to mention, and I caught it cause I'm a pretty good listener mm-hmm. that I believe you have a total of 15 student athletes mm-hmm. on the team you're yes. coaching. Who gets to play? How do we make these decisions? So, um, so like I said, this is my first go around. So, um, 
I'm learning as I'm going. So as of now, I have maybe about an eight or nine man rotation. Gotcha. So this is this is just how I coach. I can't speak on everybody else, but um, this is how I do it. So I have an eight nine man rotation of guys that actually know how to play basketball. Because at the at this level, you know, we still have kids that you know are still trying to figure out, you know, how to play. I mean, me as myself, I went to Birmingham High School my my freshman year. I made the team, but it probably only got in the game two or three times. Gotcha. So I tell this story to him all the, all the time. So my ninth grade year, I didn't get much playing time. But my after I saw how to really, you know, conduct myself and, you know, study and immerse myself in the game of basketball, I ended right. up being the MVP of JV that next year. Gotcha. gotcha. So it's just kind of like you have to immerse yourself in this, situ- right. in, in this sport. But going back to what you were saying, um, and I, I tell him this story. Um, but I have an eight or nine man rotation, um, and the other guys, I try to squeeze them in. I try to put them in in, in certain situations because you still, you, you know, you still want to, um, you still want to give something towards the development of the future of the yeah, program. Right, so right. the guys that they actually know what they're doing. Um, so let's say we're up by a lot, then I like to try to get the guys in that, okay. you know, that's that's still trying to catch right, the grab of right. the. Try to use whatever opportunities you can. Bingo. That's always the goal. I mean, I hate to say we would like to blow a team out by 30 or 40 towards the beginning, mm-hmm. but my goal is to do that so we can get these guys some reps to okay. have them in game time situation. Okay, okay. And also, too, because part of it is, is um, you know, developing uh, people in their roles as a student athlete, so whatever their sport might be, in this case basketball. And then part of it is developing them into good citizens and members of the community so you know you do always want to uh you know make people feel there's opportunity and at the same time there has to be balance because part of the difficulty sometimes is young people if you give someone something that they haven't truly earned or even if they've worked their best but look you're just in a competitive environment where you're not capable of competing at the level of them it kind of sets you up for difficulty accepting transitioning into adulthood and mm. real life where nothing's really going to be given to you. But if you were the participation trophy generation where everyone gets a trophy and everyone gets acknowledged, and all of a sudden so you don't understand how to really have ambition and fight and grow and prosper, then it may become difficult when you move into the real world where it's more of a um, performance-driven society mm. even at work. You know, yeah. So there does become a great balance with trying to take care of people's emotional um, and psychological state at this age, Mm -hmm. but truly preparing you for life beyond high school and beyond Mm. sports where, no, everyone's not going to acknowledge you just because you tried or just because you came out or just because you're a good person or just because you're a sweetheart. At some point, we live in a performance-driven society where you have to meet a certain standard, Mm -hmm. and if you don't, you may not have certain opportunities, and that's the reality of life, you know? Yeah. So there's a difficult balance to find sometimes, and that becomes just as much a part of the role as a coach at times as the X's and O's of mm-hmm. the sport, you know? Yeah. Hey, your little brother, how's his experience going? Um, his experience is going very well. Um, he was actually the number one receiver on this team. Okay. Um, so he's, you know, this he's living the college life. He loves okay. it. He's supposed to be coming out here next Tuesday, okay, which I can't insane. wait. So okay. definitely going to bring him here to you to talk to oh, you. <laughs> okay. I appreciate his presence as oh, well. Yeah. Who, who was he playing against where I saw the big catch on on TV? It was Michigan. It was against the University of Michigan? Yeah. Yeah, that was a big one. That yeah, was that was – that. It, yeah. it was a lot involved. Yeah. And it's so funny. If you look at that – if you look at that video, 
mind you, Michigan's probably one of the biggest stadiums in, yeah. in the yes. nation, maybe yeah. even the world possibly. You hear him yell so loud, over 115,000 people. If you look at that video, you can listen to him yell over those wow. people. So wow. it just shows like all the stuff, because yeah. we had to go through, you know, the Juco struggle yeah. and all that stuff. Yes. You, you just, everything was like for this moment, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. that's why that, that catch meant a lot to us. And the beauty of sports is too, is so deep what you said, because a lot of times, there really are just these powerful moments we experience where, okay, you might not have a playing career after college. Mm -hmm. You might not have a, a wonderful experience every time you're out to competing, but you put in this work and you have certain moments that become memorable, certain moments where you can really acknowledge all the effort you put into something. And again, that becomes the life lesson you walk away with mm -hmm. in life that, okay, you know, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to work hard. And in reward of such, you experience these moments of triumph, which in and of themselves are rewarding enough because yeah. that'll be a memory he has for the rest of his mm -hmm. life. You yeah. feel what I'm saying? Yeah. If you come from my life home, that might be the only memory you have that you get to talk about. <laughs> but it's, hey, but it's a beautiful one, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I was happy to see him have that moment. And, and you know, in addition, I was happy to see um, the jubilation that you experienced mm -hmm. both as an individual both as yourself and in behalf of your brother, based on your awareness of the work that had went into that moment. Because, mm -hmm. you know, that's something we'd all like to experience, you know, and the best metaphor I can use is I often say how everybody wants to be Kobe Bryant on game day after the big shot. But if people really understood the commitment to excellence, the dedication, the sacrifice, the work ethic, the persistence, the perseverance mm -hmm. that went into yes. this moment, yeah, then, you know, you you have to love that part of the yeah fall in love too, with the process you know yeah. and that's what people don't get you got to fall in love with the process so even when my son experiences adversity and difficult difficulty there's a part of me that finds some enjoyment in the moments because I know those are the moments that's building his character mm -hmm. not the moments yeah. when everything is lovely and happy and he's having fun yeah but that you're fighting for your opportunity to compete mm -hmm. you know so oh yeah that must be a blessing for you it must be a blessing. Uh, hey, some of the things I was going to talk about today, ironically, was the um, politics that, uh, you know, are often present in sports. Um, do you find people trying to find various ways to influence the participation level of their children? Like where, okay, and, and it doesn't even have to be as it relates to just your mm -hmm. role there, mm -hmm. but I know you've participated in youth sports and mm -hmm. other environments where, you know, what are some of the things people try to do outside of like their child having the ability and the spirit to compete? Um, I mean, I've seen it. And surprisingly, when I was young, I didn't really see it so much because mm -hmm. I was in it. But now I feel like a lot more parents want it more than the kid does. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if they're trying to relive through their kids yeah, yeah. or if they just want it more because, right. I mean, I've seen kids that just don't want, you can tell it, it's, it's not yeah, in the yeah. heart. Yeah, and they're like, well, you know, my mom really wants me to play, and yeah. you know, I'm kind of doing this, yeah, for her or, or doing it for my dad or whatever the situation is. So, I, I can honestly say I'm starting to see a lot more. Just not even in basketball, football as well. Yeah. It's more yeah. like it's the parents that want it more yeah. than the kid. Hey, and especially in football, you can't have a kid out there that don't really want to be out there. Yeah, you and, get and hurt. that's at any level because mm -hmm. I see it in high school and at the community college level where I spend more of my time where. There's young people, you could just tell, you don't really have a passion for the work involved. Mm -hmm. in this. You do like the moments, you like the camaraderie, you like the sense of belonging to a team, 
But if you don't fall in love with, and you use the word process, another word I'd like to add to that is you got to fall in love with the grind, Mm -hmm. the grind of it. You, to really be successful with these things, you got, even if, so going back to my experience, I didn't, I can't pretend I love to work out all the time, but I love the anguish of working out and knowing everyone else wasn't going to make it through the anguish. And therefore, when I meet you on the field of competition, yeah. You ain't gonna be able to deal with me. Yeah. That's what I loved about it. I did I didn't like the discipline of the nutrition sometimes, but I like my awareness of what the discipline of the nutrition was gonna do for me. So when I meet you on the field of competition, I understand that mm-hmm. you ain't got nothing for me. Yeah. So in that sense I love to grind. I didn't love waking up at six in the morning, working out, eating breakfast, going back to sleep, just so I can wake up over again and do the same workout two to three times a day. But I liked that I am so disciplined and willing to live it like this that there's nothing you're going to do mm-hmm. to compete better than me at this moment. So in that sense, I truly love the grind of it. And if you don't love it like that, it really becomes a morbid, unpleasant experience. Oh, big time, you know? by far. Like, and, yeah. that, and that's something I try to teach the kids in life. Like, You're going to have adversity, but you have to be immersed in whatever yeah. you're going to do in life because you're going to be tested. Right. You know what I mean? And those tests are going to, you know, determine if, you know, if it's meant for you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Real life. Real mm-hmm. life. Um, so one of the things I had been reading, and I read this book years ago, and I mentioned it, but I thought to myself, like, no, I got to go back and give people some details. So there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called The Outliers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he talks about, he talks about a couple principles that have relationship to youth sports. One of the things he talks about is this 10,000 hours. So whether you talk about 10,000 uh, repetitions, 10,000 hours of repetitions as something, his point behind it was developing expertise. So that's one thing people walked away with. But there was something that was a little um, bit different, and I kind of wanted to discuss that and, and get your feedback, right? Mm-hmm. So part of it um, relates to, I think it was the Canadian national hockey team okay. that they were discussing. And one of the things he said was this. um, Among the best Canadian hockey players, the majority of them were born in January or February, while the least amount were born in the months of October uh, through December. So therefore, if you had like um, a bell curve or distribution chart, Mm -hmm. you would see the majority of the excellent high performing players born in January, February while the least amount of the high-performing players were born, the minority numbers of them were born in October through December. Now, one of the things they were acknowledging is that for, in Canada, at least at that time, and I don't know how, if it's changed, the eligibility cutoff date for kids' hockey is January 1st. So therefore, you'd have kids, and here for many sports, I think, what is it, August 31st, September 1st, mm-hmm. something like that, right? So I would say the metaphor for us are the kids born in September, September, October, November mm-hmm. versus kids born in June, July and August. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things they were acknowledging and I just thought it's so deep because the lesson I wanted parents to walk away with was, you know, again, we talk about what's the coach's responsibility, what's the parent's responsibility, um, what's the student athlete's responsibility, referees, respons- everyone who participating has a role and responsibility. So. Sometimes I see parents have certain expectations of their kids and they really don't have a bigger awareness of the physical and psychological implications of the entire journey in youth sports. So mm-hmm. one of the things Malcolm Gladwell was talking about um, was that 
if you take younger kids, so when when someone is 60 and at the age of 60, nine months difference is minuscule, it's minimal, it's not relevant. Mm. But when a kid is five, if you say that January 1st is the cutoff day, right? And I'm five, and but you also are going to play in that same year. You're going to compete against me, but your birth date isn't going to be till December. So essentially, you and I are in the same age and we're competing. But at the age of five or six, 11 months of development as it relates to gross and fine motor skills, as well as emotional, psychological development is tremendous. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you'll have the kids with these earlier birthdays. So in the, as it relates to the Canadian hockey players, January, February, and related to youth sports here, we can say September, October, who are competing at this higher level than the other peers in their group. Now, what happens is this. There's a clear explanation for where that difference is, but in one sense, it doesn't become relevant because the coach's goal is to put the team in the best position to win. Mm -hmm. So which players are going to get more invested in them in terms of coaching and in terms of opportunities to compete? The players who are perceived to be, quote unquote, better. But when we use the word better, that may be vague in that discussion, because is it really better? Or at this particular age, that nine, that 10, that 11 months is such a significant advantage. Mm -hmm. So then the season is over. So what happens at the end of season in many youth sports? You make the all-star team. Mm -hmm. So who gets on the all-star team? Those kids selected from the various teams who Mm -hmm. perform better, Mm -hmm. right? Now, so what are they receiving? They're receiving additional coaching. Now, when other kids went home because the season over, right? They're receiving additional coaching. They're receiving um, some level of additional um, time and opportunity to internalize Mm -hmm. that they're better and develop that on a psychological um, on a psychological level that where I can now internalize that I'm one of the better players, mm-hmm. right? They're also being looked upon by other people who may be creating travel teams or or um, club teams that are like okay, I want that kid to participate, and so now they're receiving additional opportunities, and therefore after several years of that, perception has become reality, mm-hmm. and a lot of parents don't understand that, so. When we talk about the responsibilities of parents, one of the things that my pops told me this, and then I'm associating tying this together, and then I want to hear your comments on it. My pops told me a long time ago, he said, and, and he, it was a very general statement, and now I understand what he's coming from. He's like, a coach can never give your kid confidence. They can only take it away. Mm-hmm. He was like, and now in every case, is that the case? No, that's not in every situation. But he was giving me a general understanding of sports where basically he was letting me know you're responsible for your son's confidence. Mm-hmm. You're, and so I would tell all parents that you're responsible for your son's or daughter, your child's confidence and sense of self-efficacy and belief in themselves. Mm-hmm. Because that is your responsibility as a parent. That is your responsibility before the universe for the life you've been entrusted with Mm -hmm. because that's not really even if a coach cares necessarily going to be how they prioritize their actions with the team even if a coach wants well for your child's psychological and emotional well-being if your child can't compete yeah then a, a coach can't just decide okay you know we're going to risk losing every game so this young person can have equal opportunity to compete. 
mm-hmm. on the court. So anyway, that being said, I want to get back to the point of entrusting parents with, hey, you better make sure your child is prepared because that's how early in the game these trends start to develop. You know, I don't know what's your thoughts on that. Um, I've seen it, especially in the football. Right. Just just me growing up with my little brother. I've seen it. That's all too often. So you have the you have the cutoff, right. which you have a competitive advantage over that, and then they hold them back. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, another competitive yeah, advantage yeah, yeah, that yeah, they have. So by the time, yeah. I mean, they're still within that gray area. Right. But, you know, I mean, I've talked to some of the parents and that they have done this and their kid is like 19, almost about to turn 20 in high school. Right. And he was like, it's not against the law. Right. I didn't right, break any right, laws doing this. Right. This is within the guidelines. Right. So when they get that, when they get to college, it's all going to be relative anyway. Right. Right. Or when he goes to the NFL, it's all going to be relative anyway. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I, I always thought it was a pretty interesting right. fact because I've seen it work out in 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 that favor, and I've seen it backfire because you get the, you give this kid all this confidence at an early age, right, right? And they've already thought they were the man, but by the time they get to high school there there's no room yeah. for improvement because they right. think that they've already accomplished so if their work ethic has not kept up because they so one of the things i hear you saying because i also see it with people who have sizable height advantage mm-hmm. that they've benefited from their height advantage for so long that all of a sudden when they get to a level of play where everyone's their height they didn't develop the appropriate skill sets to go along with their Bingo. height because they weren't challenged to mm-hmm. you know yeah. so you know idea yeah, i most definitely hear that point i also have seen where Okay, by the time you make it to college where you no longer have that year to 18 months of physical size advantage mm-hmm. on the peer group you're competing with, that your size, uh, that your advantages can, you know, begin to wane, so to speak, you know? Mm-hmm. That being said, as someone who's made those decisions with his child, right, um, I have an August birthday. Mm-hmm. So competing, that always put me at somewhat of a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son has a June birthday. And one day I began to realize that, like, okay, then I always had him playing up. Mm-hmm. So, when, you know, when we go on the travel circuit, I would have him playing varsity when he was still in eighth grade, you know, just to do it. Just to eat. I would put him in, in markedly disadvantaged situations. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I did that as someone who had an older brother three years older than me is I began to notice another ph- phenomenon that wasn't discussed in this book, but something I began to notice is that the younger siblings – to me, always became the ones you better watch out for. Because mm-hmm. the older siblings did not have the advantage advantage often of having an older sibling to compete with. Mm-hmm. But the younger sibling, who was one to two to three years younger and always watching their older sibling and then wants to go compete against their older sibling and against his friends, but ain't getting no love and getting yeah. beat on and developing that hunger because, hey, they won't let me play. They won't let me on the court. They won't give me the ball. Right? That one always became a mm-hmm. monster. So, I've, you know, I've always seen that happen. So I decided that, you know, I was going to put my son in that situation. And to some degree, I most definitely um, have watched it produce dividends with his level of aggression and his lack of fear of competing no matter what the obstacle in front of him. Um, so, you know, I could say that was my experience of it. But... Um, I will say, yeah, there's most definitely at a point in environment where it doesn't matter what advantages you're giving them if the work ethic doesn't. And if if someone doesn't work to maintain Mm -hmm. the gap or advantage they have, Mm -hmm. then others who desire it more than you will soon catch up. Oh, yeah. Oh, most definitely. We saw that a lot in football because my little brother, August baby. 
So he was younger. Like technically, he should have been a junior. He, he, you know, he was one grade. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was a senior, but he should have been a junior. Yeah. So he's playing against guys that was held back, then have the birthdays to benefit them as well. I mean, we didn't really use that as an excuse because we didn't really know about that. You know right, what I mean? Right. So we just kind of, you know, it, it was his work ethic. Right. You know right. what I mean? He just, he was a workaholic and, right. you know what I mean? He ended up bypassing some of those guys. So. Hey, and sometimes you could know about it. So I will say that as well. Like there's certain things that I'm like, I wish I had known this earlier. I wish I had known this, right? But there's certain things that even if you know, it also becomes functions of other advantages you may or may not have in life. So for instance, there are people who discover like, okay, shoot. So there's this thing people are doing with holding their kids back. Mm -hmm. So, or my son has this birthday. Let's say you have an August 28th birthday. So, oh, do I even want to start him in school now or wait a year? Mm -hmm. But whether we call it holding your kid back or just not starting them in kindergarten until the following year, there's a financial function to that. Because let's say you got to go to work every day and you just don't have affluence. You don't have financial affluence. And then in your mind, it's like, okay, well, um, you know, if, I, if they're in school, I no longer have to bear the burden of expense of a daycare or some type of service provided mm-hmm. to the system. And, you know, everyone's not going to have that financial resource. So there's a lot at play, but a lot of these things you mentioned the person who held their kid back where their kid was about to be turning 20 right after they graduated, right? You know, I, you know, I, I didn't put my son in that position, but I can't knock those who did. Mm-hmm. I can't because, you know, there are people playing at elite level division one schools now who, and there are people where there was a history of this being done by various communities that some of us didn't catch on to. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that produced other outcomes in life that may have served to their advantage too. So, because when you go, the irony is the the outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, when you take that principle, well, it's not just a physical disadvantage. It also becomes a psychological and emotional advantage in terms of growth and development, but can also manifest itself in academics. Mm-hmm. Because academics have a connection to someone's psychological state, mm-hmm. someone's emotional state. So, I mean, there's so many outcomes to it that sometimes people don't really realize it goes deeper than just athletic performance, mm-hmm. you know? No, I agree because with, with these, um, you know, not to give out names or whatever, but w- with these particular individuals, it worked out in their favor. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? In more ways than one. Right. Academically, um, mentally, physically, it all, at the end, at the end game was pretty much accomplished. Right. So... In hindsight, looking back, it's kind of like, well, maybe because you know when I looked at, it, I was like, man, these guys are cheating. They're this, they're yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But now, looking back and or looking at it now, I'm like, wow, they they really set the, their kids yeah, up yes, for yes, success. Yes. So yeah. it's it's a real like you said, yeah. it is a real interesting phenomenon. Yeah, and that's how I choose to look at it in some degree. As a, now, where where I would have an issue with it. Is not you doing that for your child. Like, no, like, sometimes we can be frustrated if we're the ones on the outside looking in, like, because that opportunity wasn't given us or we didn't do that for our children. The only thing I have an issue with as it relates to that has nothing to do with the opportunity you created for your child. It has to do with if your child is competing with, an, on average, a group two years younger than them. And then if you count other kids playing up, I mean, the age disparity could be three years to gap. Mm -hmm. And you as a parent 
are in the stands saying anything of a disparaging nature to the other kids that leave them psychologically scarred or developing feelings of incompetence, inability, and adequacy mm-hmm. to compete. When you understand that, so if your child is the best freshman in the nation, or you know just a great freshman, but they're 16, going on 17, and they're competing against other freshmen who are 13, about to turn 14 or 14, then you know you understand why there's an advantage. So at least be humble and be modest in that where nothing's being said that becomes a psychological scar mm-hmm. on another kid who doesn't understand mm-hmm. why am I not capable of competing against this, you know, where a kid doesn't understand. Because at that age, sometimes a kid might not really be able to conceptualize that, mm-hmm. no, it don't. You could do as many push-ups as you want, and you're not about to be physically stronger than a kid two and a half years older than mm-hmm. you. Do you know the difference between... 14 and 17 is astronomical. Oh, yeah. The difference between 14 and 16 is astronomical. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the only time I have an issue is when I see parents like, okay, like, wow, you really doing a lot up there. Mm -hmm. You're really extra with it when you could be a little bit more humble Mm -hmm. about the situation. Knowing the situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You feel me? Yeah. So that we could sit over here and be humble and this ass whooping we take. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, that's real. So, you know, but other than that, no, man, for someone to get their child an advantage, especially in this world, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's the thing we all have to function, uh, you know, focus on as we function in life is not using our energy to uh, be overly critical about how others choose to go through life because there is a sacrifice that comes with that. That parent had to sacrifice some things. That student athlete had to sacrifice some things. Because like you said, there's no guarantees on the outcome. Mm-hmm. So you got to get people who are willing to invest in something. And I think that takes courage. And I think it's to be respected. I also think that there's the potential um, for the child being held back to have some issues with the fact that like, okay, wow, I now in this, I, I could be in this grade with my peers but mm-hmm. now I'm in this grade. And so, you know, it's not all great yeah. in every sense. So Not at know. all. Because I remember, like, when I was a kid, that was you never wanted to be held back. Right. Like, right, my mom was right. like, oh, you keep doing this, you're going to get held back. So in my mind, yeah. when I'm hearing holdbacks, I'm thinking, oh, no, we definitely don't want to hold my little brother back because yeah. we don't want him to look like this, that, the yeah. third. But now, yeah. fast forwarding it to today, now I kind of see how, right. you know, it all right. plays out. I was talking with a parent about it one time, and a parent was like, uh, yeah, I don't believe in that. And I thought to myself, I was like, we're not talking about your religious philosophy on a creator. What do you mean you don't believe in it? It's not, this is not about believing in things. It's about, at some point in life, having a determined outcome you want. And I'll say this about everything, not just this topic we're talking about. Everything in life, at some point, becomes about what is the outcome I want? What does it take to arrive at that outcome? Mm-hmm. Forget what you believe in or not from a sense of your ego. Your pride mm-hmm. is like, this is the outcome I desire. What does it take to arrive at that outcome? Am I committed to doing what it takes? Mm-hmm. When I look at the cost versus benefit analysis, how do I feel about it? You know, mm-hmm. And that becomes a reality because just not giving for any student athlete. You can persevere. You can persist. You can be dedicated as you want. You can work as hard as you want. And that doesn't mean there's so many other variables be going on, including the politics we talked about. Mm-hmm. You just don't know, you know, that the outcomes you want aren't necessarily going to be there. So then at some point you have to be committed to the fact that the journey itself was still worth it. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that, I mean, even like you said, even in life, like because you, you're always raised to think one way. Right. 
And then once you start getting older, or at least myself, you start to realize, okay, there's more than right, right. one way to the finish line. Yeah. So, definitely. you know what I mean? You going this way isn't always the most beneficial way. Right, right. Sometimes you got to make a right to make a left and yeah. so on and so forth. And so works life. Oftentimes you talk to people who've had success in anything and everything. And you ask them, like, how did you get there? How did you think of this? And the irony is those tell you, like, well, actually I was doing this. And then because of this, that cre- I met this Bingo. person that created this opportunity. Right? You know, so a lot of times it's just, you know, starting on a path, creating a goal, thinking of a purpose and intent that you desire to live. And then along that path, having an awareness of when to persist, when to reassess, mm-hmm. when to keep moving, when to change when to see what doors close and therefore what opportunity is, you know, so there's just so many variables in it. And the irony is we call that life. Yeah. You know? No, that's, that, that's deep because yeah. now it's like, I'm on this journey. I'm, I'm more open-minded. You right, know what I mean? Right. At one point it was just like, okay, this is this, this is that, this right. is gonna get me here. But now I'm starting to see that little things will get you here. And then, you know, from, right. you know, you're jumping from point A to point B to maybe D, you know what I mean? So right, real life, it's, real life. It, it's, you just got to be open-minded. That's, that's the biggest thing I've been learning recently. Hey, that's a lesson. So we will leave with parents too, to be open-minded. I think in synopsis, I would ask people to really be aware that your responsibility is the psychological and emotional well-being of your child as a parent, because that's not always going to be the overwhelming concern of the coach, right? Is You have to be prepared to do what's necessary on behalf of your child to advocate, but in a reasonable way that demonstrates that you have a true understanding and that not just the bias is inherent, mm-hmm. because I'm a parent too. There's biases inherent to us being a parent. Right. And that they really understand that this journey begins so early in life, uh, both in terms of the ability for a young student athlete to internalize a sense of confidence and belief in themselves. So parents have to have an awareness of that versus not really investing in their child and then looking at their child like, why can't you compete like this kid over here? Mm -hmm. Right. You're expecting things out of your child that you haven't prepared them to do. That being said. Any last thoughts, like things like if someone was listening and you thought like, hey, this is what I would want a pa- to know, a stu- excuse me, a parent to know, a student athlete to, uh, to know, what would you share with them if this was your opportunity? Um, talk, talk to your kid. You know what I mean? I know it may sound simple. I know it may sound cliche. You know, you know talk to them and see exactly where their mind's at. See what their end goal is and, and, and try to, you know, try to get the most out of them with athletics. Don't, you know, sometimes as parents, we think, okay, NBA or bus or NFL is yeah, or, or bus. Yeah, yeah. So try to, you know, try to get them to, to use the sport rather than have the sport use them. Wow. Because we have a lot of situations to where, you know, these kids, uh, I mean, I'm sure you see it all the time. Yeah. These kids be, you know, oh, I'm going to league after this. I'm going to league after this. And then they don't pan out. Then they're like, okay, well, now I'm in the real life. I've graduated, got my degree. Now what do I do? Right. You know what I mean? So just kind of talking to talking to your kids, just trying to, you know, see exactly what their what what their goal is and what, you know, try to get them to kind of see outside the box as well. Wow, I appreciate that. Very insightful. Again, it's been a, a esteemed privilege and pleasure to have you here with us. Okay, Everyone thanks. you just heard from America's Jones, that's a wrap. You've just witnessed two kings talking. Thank you for tuning in to King Talk. <laughs>